When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 2nd of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Uh, 38-year-old local woman is front page news this morning. Lisa Smith returns is the headline for the lead story in the Irish Examiner with that paper reporting that foreign agency work forms key evidence. The Mirror says terror cops quiz ISIS bride, whilst the lead story in and the star today is also to do with the return of Lisa Smith. Home and shy. Terror suspect quiz. Isis Bride hides behind blanket but says she's glad to be back. Arrested as she leaves. Jet child now with relatives. I have no sympathy for cocky, arrogant Isis Bride is uh, the front page headline of uh, the Daily Mail today which uh, attributes uh, that quote to what the paper says is the ex-army corporal former's best friend as Smith is held on return to Dublin Airport. The son then says home to face the music. Smith in custody after arrest at Dublin Airport. The front page story of the Irish Times and the Irish Independent front page says happy to be home. ISIL bride quizzed on terror links. As you know, Lisa Smith is being detained in Kevin Street Guard Station and is uh, being questioned by members of the Gardaí for the second day-to-day. That questioning has just got underway, we understand, uh, this morning. Her solicitor, Dara Mackin, is a lawyer with Phoenix Law in Belfast, and he's on the line with us this morning. And a very good morning to you, Dara, and uh, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Reading some of the headlines this morning, uh, you think that there's probably a, a bit of a constitutional contradiction taking place in this country, and uh, people have deemed Lisa Smith to be guilty until proven innocent. Well, that, that, that's exactly the, the worry, uh, Michael. The, the, the reality is that, as we know, um, in, in this country, there is a, a system of uh, fair trial and the quality of arms principles where you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. And, and as it stands, there's been absolutely no evidence um, adduced uh, that would uh, implicate Lisa in any terrorist offences. And uh, what we must rem- kind of remember is that Whilst Lisa has given a number of interviews, um, she has not and has continuously uh, removed herself and disassociated herself from any terrorist organisation um, and until such times as there's any evidence that implicates her in terrorism or terrorist activity, uh, she must be presumed innocent. 
I'm sure there's a, a lot of people listening to us in uh, Dundalk today who are curious uh, about her, her state of health and her state of mind. What can you tell us? Well, uh, unfortunately, um, the conditions that Lisa and her child were subject to were, were absolutely appalling in a camp, uh, effectively in the middle of a desert, uh, surrounded by uh, wire and barb, barbed wire, in which there's no uh, effective sewage uh, system. Uh, the food and uh, water uh, is very, very limited indeed. Uh, and the camp in itself has a, a, a position where there is continuous torture, bullying, uh, rape uh, amongst violent assaults against uh, the various women. So, uh, as you can imagine, uh, there's been a very, very difficult time over the last uh, number of months, uh, and that has taken its toll uh, on her. Um, but we are glad, and uh, we, we warmly welcome the fact that the United Nations intervened at a very, very critical time to ensure that uh, Lisa and her child were safely repatriated to face whatever allegations are made against her in a manner that's consistent with uh, international law obligations. Uh, what's your standing, understanding of uh, life in uh, that refugee camp uh, where she was being detained in comparison to life in Syria, in Islamic State? Uh, because it has been relayed to us that Lisa Smith herself felt that she needed to remarry while living there because it's no place for a woman to be on her own, that she could have ended up raped. Indeed, her little girl could have been raped. The conditions in Syria are, are absolutely appalling. Um, as I've said uh, already, regrettably, there is uh, endless stories about uh, women being raped, uh, being used, being trafficked uh, as sex slaves and other uh, appalling uh, situations uh, where children are trafficked uh, as well as their parents. And it is the case, unfortunately, in those uh, countries uh, that uh, you that it's perceived that if you are married, then you would be in a much safer position. Um, the, the, the reality is that that, that imminent danger uh, was further aggravated by the fact that Lisa gave an unprecedented interview in which she disassociated herself from uh, the terrorist organisation ISIS. That in itself comes with a very, very dangerous uh, backdrop in that uh, the other more extremist uh, women, the women who are involved in the militant action, in the camps take uh, such action uh, in a very, very aggressive manner. On on one occasion we know of uh, where a number of militant um, women, in fact, uh, burned a a woman to death in a tent as a result of uh, what they perceived to be her publicly uh, disassociating herself from uh, the terrorist movement. Would she consider herself to be an ISIS bride, as she is often described? The, the position uh, regarding ISIS and the Islamic State is unfortunately not as clear as uh, many would wish to believe. Um, the, the complex backdrop to the Islamic State uh, and what is uh, commonly referred to as the Caliphate uh, is, in, is, is one that's very, very complex. The, the reality is that there are a number of very extremist uh, and dangerous individuals who uh, specifically prey upon vulnerable people and vulnerable women and in attempt to lure them to what they refer to as the euphoric uh, Islamic State. The Islamic State, in that, uh, in that understanding, is a place that uh, is deeply uh, rooted in religi- religious beliefs. And in light of those religious beliefs, uh, people believe they're going to a, a euphoric, a safe place. Uh, the reality is that, as we know, um, those uh, 
vulnerable people once they get there are subject to the most appalling conditions uh, in which there are a number of uh, men who marry these uh, foreign brides, making them become commonly referred to as ISIS brides, uh, who uh, who the, the husbands are actively involved in, in, in tourism and, and tourist activity. And regrettably, this is an exact situation on point. And, and what's often for, what it's often missed is the fact that Lisa was not the first Irish woman in which uh, her her husband uh, preyed upon. As a, as a young lady from Oma, in fact, was stopped uh, previously by the exact same individual in the exact same circumstances trying to uh, lure people to this, uh, what they perceive to be a euphoric uh, place. Do you believe Lisa Smith is facing the prospect of terrorist charges? Well, I think the reality is that um, there is considerable uh, disquiet and concern uh, for the fact that any individual travels to a specific location. And that, that is a reality. That is the elephant in the room that nobody can shy away from. Uh, what, what, what our job is, and what, it's, what, what we say is clear, is that travelling to a specific location in and of itself is not an offence. And one must remember that the only way uh, charges can be brought against Lisa or if, if the evidence indicates that she was involved in terrorist activity herself. And what we say is at this stage... Uh, there is no evidence that she was implicated or involved in any terrorist activity and, quite, in fact, quite the opposite, has taken steps to publicly disassociate herself and taken steps to publicly remove herself from such activity, which, against the backdrop of uh, the Islamic State in itself and the current situation there, is unheard of. And if she is to face into such uh, charges, she will plead innocent, will she? Well, the reality is that Lisa's put forward a defence publicly, um, made her case very, very clear that she was not involved. And therefore, if any charges are brought against her, they will be uh, vehemently denied. Uh, as, as I've said previously, Lisa has cooperated fully with Turkish authorities, with the FBI, and now with Angiorda Shiakana in maintaining her innocence and setting out the, her exact movements. Uh, as our position is clear, that Lisa has uh, nothing to hide and uh, not given a full account of her various movements, and therefore, yes, will defend any charges brought against her. Okay, uh, explain to us what you expect might happen. As I understand it, she can be held for 48 hours for questioning, and that period can be extended to 72 hours. Is that correct, and do you expect that she'd be released at the end of uh, that time period? So within the first uh, 24 hours, um, uh, and Shea can seek an extension of a further 24 hours uh, by the Chief Superintendent's review. We expect that to be the case. Um, after that period, uh, they are entitled to apply to a court for further time if uh, it is necessary. Um, given the complexities and the novel nature of this case, we would envisage um, that the 48 hours will at least be required, if not uh, 72. And one, one must, must remember that uh, that period of time, or the, the lengthy period of time, does not Im- indicate or in any way infer guilt or innocence. Uh, quite the opposite. This is a very, very complex uh, situation, legally and factually. And for those reasons, uh, we, we, we anticipate that it will take quite some time to get through the entirety of the case. It has been suggested to us that Lisa Smith may be safer if uh, she's locked up, if she's incarcerated, uh, uh, and that uh, she faces great danger because of how people feel about where she has travelled to and what they assume she has done as a, a result of uh, that. Uh, have you any understanding of what Lisa Smith's view is? Uh, does she believe that she can come back and live in Dundalk or in some other part of this country uh, and be left alone? 
I've I've no understanding as to what her position is in that regard. However, um, what I would say is uh, two things. Firstly, um, if uh, it is a case in which Lisa uh, is not charged, and the uh, her innocence should be presumed, um, the responsible authorities of the state can, can ensure that her safety uh, and security is upheld, where there, there she is not at risk. And secondly, um, what I would say is that uh, one would hope that uh, the very fact we live in a democracy, we live in a state in which uh, there, is a rule, there is the rule of law, unlike many other jurisdictions in Malaysia just came from, and therefore we should abide by the very fact that if, uh, the, if the, there is no evidence to support the charges against her, uh, one should hope that uh, the wider uh, public would take a position where they would uh, accept the rule of law, accept that Lisa is therefore innocent, accept that there is no evidence against her, and would allow her and her daughter um, to to get to get on with her life, to get on with their lives. You know, we can't forget that um, this this woman, you know, has come from a very very dangerous position, uh, along with the child in the worst imaginable circumstances. And we would hope that as Ireland has shown by acting on the United Nations recommendations, that the wider Irish public would allow for uh, Lisa to uh, you know return home and rehabilitate in a, in a situation where she is free from such radicalisation. Uh, in a situation uh, with, with, where she is surrounded by her family, uh, on 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 the on the backdrop of no evidence or no charges being brought against her. Can I just ask you one last question, uh, please, Dara, uh, about uh, her daughter, little Rakaya, uh, who I think everybody accepts is an innocent party, regardless of anything else uh, that might be yeah. said in relation to this. How is she? Uh, we hear that uh, she's with family members, uh, members of Lisa Smith's family. Is there any more you can tell us? Well, uh, obviously, um, Lisa and Rakaya um, were returned yesterday and uh, uh, were given uh, time to spend with uh, Lisa's extended family to ensure that uh, Rakaya could go safely into their care uh, whilst she uh, undergoes the investigation uh, and the investigative process. Uh, Rakaya is thankfully uh, at home uh, and, and safely with Lisa's extended family and being cared for uh, by them. Uh, whilst we uh, get over get over the next few days. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Darren Mackin, a lawyer with Phoenix Law in Belfast, who's representing Lisa Smith and her family, Independent TD for Loud. Peter Fitzpatrick is on uh, the telephone, and uh, you were listening throughout that interview. Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, what are your thoughts at this stage? Well, it sounds like, as I said, you might allow, I, I was opposed with the family, uh, Lisa's family, and... Uh, the bottom line was the family wanted Lisa and uh, Rikaya, the, ch- the two-year-old child, to come home. Uh, Lisa, Lisa now is home with her, with her child. Uh, she had said from day one that she would cooperate. And as far as I know, she was cooperating. Because I believe yesterday she spent two two sessions of four hours being investigated by the Guard of Security and Intelligence sections. Uh, all, all I hope is that the two comes out. From day one, our family has told me uh, that, Le- that Lisa has denied taking part in any terrorist activities or organisations. They denied that she was a member of ISIS. Uh, the, uh, the only, our main reason was that she had religious uh, beliefs. Uh, 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 the only good thing is uh, Lisa's getting an opportunity. Uh, I'm delighted that Lisa has got a, got a lawyer to look after herself there at the moment. I've listened to, uh, to Dawa in your programme this morning. I've also listened to, to, to Dawa talking in Northern Ireland. Uh, the, the, main, the main thing she talked about was uh, this is all these suggestions and hearsay and witnesses and allegations and that there. I think I, I think uh, looking at all the, all, the, all the radios and TV reports at the moment is that uh, 
I think the director of prosecution, I think if, if, if anything, he's going to go after Lisa for being a, a, a member of an unlawful organisation. And Lisa has said on numerous occasions, and also the lawyer has said on numerous occasions, that she hasn't been a member. So at least at least now we've come to an end of it. Mm. Uh, I feel as though as being a local TD here based in the dog, being approached with the family, the family asked my help. I contacted uh, the uh, the show Simon Gobney. Uh, I contacted the Department of Foreign Affairs. I feel as though they get the end of the day. I've done as what a local TD should do in trying to help its constituents. Now it's up to the, the guardy, up to the court, and then yes, to sort the Lisa's future out and I'll try it. Okay, uh, we're going to talk to uh, another one of your constituents, Carol Duffy, in a, a moment, uh, who's a member of uh, the Muslim community and uh, would have known about Lisa Smith's uh, conversion to Islam because she's also uh, a friend or a former friend, if you like, of uh, Lisa Smith. And uh, uh, she's going to say that Lisa Smith knew exactly what she was doing. Uh, and as somebody uh, who knows her, uh, people will listen to that. Uh, what would you say in response to Carol Duffy? Well, all I said, Michael, was I, I was approached with Lisa's family. Uh, Lisa's family, as I said earlier on, there was uh, denying that she was part of any terrorist acti- activity, any organisation. She, she, they denied that, she, that uh, she was a member of ISIS. They did say that she married an Islamic State fighter. Like, like so far, uh, all I can really do is pass on the information that I got from the family. As I said, yeah, Lisa is, is in custody at the moment. Uh, she, she, she's cooperating with the interview, as, as, as I said there at the moment is. All I'm trying to say is mm. let the law take its course. The Garda has done a lot of work over the last. I believe the Garda has been working and investigating Lisa since 2012. I believe that they, they, they've, they've interviewed a lot of acquaintances. I believe they've travelled to a lot of countries. They've done a lot of work in Europe, Africa, the Middle East and even Ireland. And they've been working very, very close for moving for the last seven years. So I'm, I'm sure at this stage they have enough information to either charge Lisa or release Lisa. As I said to you, all I can go is what the family has asked me to do. As local representatives, mm. I'm not on here. As as, uh, as as you said earlier on in your program, uh, judge and jury. I'm not a judge and jury. I was a member of the 27 Battalion for three years, and in the army, the law in the army is you are guilty until proven innocent. Uh, Lisa now is a civilian, and as far as I'm concerned, Lisa is innocent until proven guilty. I think she will get a fair crack at the whip. I think she will cooperate with with, with the guards and uh, the Department of Affairs, Foreign Affairs, and also the, the, the public the prosecutor. Anderson said, "Let justice take its course." Uh, I think it's wrong for people to make you know verdicts in this situation. At the moment, it's a very, very, very delicate situation, and one of the main reasons why I, as a local TD, got involved was I, I'm very, very concerned about the child. I think the child is a two-year-old child. It's a citizen. Mm. The child's kind of caught in the middle here at the moment. Is and all I hope that this is all sorted out. Well, it, it, it's, it sounds as though little Rakaya, the little child, uh, two and a half years of age, is safe and well. And it sounds as though the Gardaí took a, a, a very good approach uh, to her leaving her mother in that her mother sat down with the family, as the solicitor told us there a few moments ago, and Rakaya, uh, before uh, they parted ways for the few days or however long it'll be. Well, well, the, the good news, Michael, I heard yesterday was from the family was that the, the mother, the father and the sister uh, was up yesterday. So I believe that they, they, they are the family members. I was hoping to get an, an update from the brother this morning, but uh, I tried to contact the brother for an update. And, uh, like, I, I'm really, really concerned over the child and it's very important that, that, we, that we don't over, overlook this. Listen, what, what, what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks or a couple of months is going to happen. All I hope is that, that the people you know, give the Smith family in the dark like the, the the family, the mother, the father, the mm. sister, the brothers, these are all pe- are, are all people that have done absolutely nothing. 
all they want to do is look after the, the, uh, Lisa's child. As I said, uh, Lisa, Lisa has been investigated. She's up there in Dublin in, 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 in Kevin's conversation at the moment. She's been interviewed. Let, let the cause take its cause. But listen, uh, people don't want to be uh, about the people in the dark and surrounding areas. Uh, Mike, I, I have heard no negativity about Lisa, Lisa Smith. I'm sure I'm sure people are giving out about whether she should come home or not come home. I think at the moment Lisa Smith has come home. She's put her hands up in the air. She's cooperating with the Garda. I'm delighted that her family got an opportunity to, 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 to see their grandchild, to see their, their cousin, their niece, whatever the moment is. All I'm trying to say is, please give a bit of space at the moment. And I, I think the people of the dog is running areas. If the child does come home and live and live with the grandfather or the granny or whatever the moment is, I think people should give him a bit of time and a bit of space and everything else. And like, listen, Dundalk is a lovely place living in. Let's not run Dundalk down to the bottom. Let's let, let, let the justice take its course. And I said, yes, as a TD, I feel as though I don't mind at the moment. And I would hope that the people in the surrounding areas will give the family a bit of space and a bit of time. OK, well, look, thank you very much indeed for joining us as well this morning. Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD for Louth. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's uh, talk uh, to Carl Duffy, who's a member of uh, Dundalk's Muslim community. A very good morning to you, Carl, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you were a friend of Lisa Smith. Uh, you don't consider yourself to be her friend anymore, I take it. No, not at all. Good morning. Good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, do you believe uh, that she has done wrong? Uh, you'd have heard uh, Lisa's uh, solicitor, Darren mm-hmm. Darren Mackin, and uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, TD, uh, call for a presumption of innocence, to presume that she's innocent until proven guilty. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that would be all very fine and well if she didn't give her interviews. Once she gave her interviews, she made it very clear her position. She made it very clear what she had um, her stand, her stance on the whole thing. And as for her a solicitor saying that she disassociated herself, she never disassociated herself. She called them a brutality group. She said she went there for an Islamic um, state. Um, so, but she never actually said that she wasn't involved in them. And if I can just say, mm. we can play semantics all we want to, but the Islamic state, Daesh, ISIS, Caliphate, they're all the same. It's all the same. It's just, it's the same group. It's just different names. She went over there to join an Islamic State. She said that herself. We wouldn't have heard anything about Lisa if the Islamic State didn't fail. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't have heard a thing. But what do you think of the solicitor's argument uh, that uh, to go to Islamic State uh, mm-hmm. is something that is done on religious grounds because of the caliphate, uh, because mm-hmm. of it uh, being some sort of Islamic euphoria? Well, if that's the case, then, um, you know, why aren't we all there? Majority of Muslims, actually any Muslim that I know, will tell you, especially um, with the way the, the way it was set up by al-Baghdadi, the way it was set up was, this, this is not Islamic. It is not a requirement to go over there. And in order for the caliphate to be established, they had to kill people, move them out of the area, take their land, rape and pillage. How else were you going to get it? You weren't going to walk over and say to the Iraqi and the Syrians and the Yazidis, excuse me, we want to set up an Islamic state. You're not Muslim. Would you mind moving away? That's how it would have been set up, mm. you know. And I think anyone saying that she went over there and tried to separate the Islamic State from what ISIS did, to be honest with you, I think you're splitting hairs. From what the solicitor was saying, it would appear that the argument that is being made is that there was a degree of naivety and that she didn't understand the complexities of establishing Islamic State, as you've just outlined for us there, and felt that she was... Uh, going uh, to a, a place where her religion would be 
the most important thing and uh, as a vulnerable person, if you like, uh, she was open to being persuaded that that would be the case if she travelled there. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't accept that at all. There's been plenty, including myself, when this, when, the, when this all started a couple of years ago with ISIS and the propaganda was out there and people were coming and talking to us about the Islamic State. Majority of, uh, majority of us would sit back and think and listen to what they're saying and think, well, you're not establishing new land. You're not going out to a barren piece of land and establishing. What you're doing is going into an already established place and you're taking over. So the majority of us would have looked, and we, we talked about this. I mean, before, obviously, when I was friends with Lisa, ISIS hadn't established itself then. It was more Al-Qaeda and it was Taliban. And we discussed about what happened in Afghanistan. We discussed about what happened in Pakistan, what has happened all over the world. These are things we would have had conversations about. Because as Muslims, unfortunately, these are the questions a lot of times we have to ask. Because we're all lumped in with the one group. That you are asked, that it. you have to answer, I take it, uh, because exactly. you're often asked these questions. Uh, uh, do you, so, so, in other words, you believe Lisa Smith was uh, informed uh, that she wasn't naive? No, she definitely was not naive. And I don't accept this, you know, she went over there and she was preyed upon. When she was here and when she was online researching stuff, she looked for the extreme things. She looked for them. She lived in my house with me when she first became a Muslim. Part of the reason why we fell out was because of her attitudes towards what she was looking at. She looked for those extremes. Lisa was already slightly militant when she started. She already had ideas in her head. And she looked for people who agreed with her. You know, and, and the thing is with the, you know, talking about, you know, the camps and how bad they are. Yes, OK, she, you're not going to expect five-star treatment. But she put herself into that situation. She went over there. You know, we have to take, she has to take responsibility. The idea that she was radicalised, that she's only young and naive mm. and she was taking away, that is not going to wash for a woman in her late 20s, early 30s. It might have worked maybe with Shemaima Begum, that was only a child. It's not going to work for her. She needs to take responsibility for what she's done and she needs to admit why she went over there. Her interviews are absolutely appalling. She is not showing any remorse. She's even denying that there was anything happening to the Yazidi people in order for the caliphate to be established. She's, she, she's making out she went over there, she was shopping and she was drinking coffee. I mean, seriously, in a war zone. And do you believe that she stopped being a soldier when she left Ireland? No, I think the reason she went over there was because of, of her training. I mean, if you look at the accounts that were made, there's an NGO... The NGOs that were investigating human rights infractions in Syria, they have they said that she attended a military camp in Raqqa. For you, in order to be involved in ISIS or to be in the caliphate, you have to attend these camps. The, the people that exposed Shemaima Begum, um, the sound and picture charity, said that Lisa was working with kids, training them in light weaponry. Why is it that we can accept that Shemaima Begum did what she did through sound and picture, identifying her, but nobody is willing to accept what Lisa did with the children teaching, it's, it's coming from the same source. She was paid a thousand a month to teach these kids. And the reason she lost her job was because her Arabic wasn't good enough. You've come to your own judgment on this. Uh, I, think I don't, I don't mm. think it's come to my own judgment. Mm. I think what I'm doing is I'm taking it as because I know her. Mm. I knew her before. Um, and what she has done now was just a progression of what she, what she used to be like. Mm. And the thing is, I'm not judging, I'm not saying 
she should go to jail. But I do think that people need to be open-minded as well. You know, I understand everyone's looking out for her daughter 100%. And I think the people of Dundalk are going to be really, really welcoming of her daughter. I think they're going to be really supportive of Lisa's family, which they should be. But I definitely think when it comes to Lisa, people need to read what's out there. And what ISIS did and what they're still continuing to do to the Yazidi people. Mm. And that to say that she was naive and go and live there, to live a life that she could have easily and freely lived here. We are all Muslims. I myself am a practicing Muslim and have Mm. been for over 20 years. I did not have to leave my town to do that. I'm free in Ireland to practice as I want to, free to work, free to go to school, free to do whatever I need to do. I didn't find a need to go and join a cult like that. Okay, but you have made your your mind, without making judgment on Lisa Smith, it sounds as though you've made up your own mind, Carol. Uh, Will you ever forgive Lisa Smith? No, I won't. And to be honest with you, one of the things that really annoyed me was in her interviews, she said, oh, in a few years, people will forget. You know, she said that when she was getting interviewed with Norma Costello. Well, I tell you, you won't forget, Lisa. The people of, the Muslim people of Ireland won't forget. Um, We won't forget in our community after what we have been Mm. through since the story broke. And I'll tell you who won't forget either, the Yazidi people that had to be hurt in order for her to join a group that was going to set up an Islamic state. She legitimised ISIS by joining them. She legitimised this complete disgraceful caliphate by going there. She legitimised them. And Car- she needs to take responsibility. Carol, do you believe you articulate uh, the views of all of the Muslims in Dundalk? Yeah, well, you see, the thing is, um, when I, any, before anything was ever done, I called the women together for, in a group and I showed them the articles. I let them watch the interviews. We all, a lot of the women from our communities, they come from um, countries where you have Boko Haram and Al-Shabaab and those kinds of groups. So the women who are over here, a lot of them have faced a lot of trouble in their country with those kind of radicalized, extreme, murderous groups. So when they heard about all this, we sat down and we discussed it. And I asked them, how do you feel? What do you want to do? There was an all-around consensus about it. We don't want her in our community centre. We don't want her there. We don't want the likes of her. It's, you know, we don't want that ideology coming in and poisoning what we have. We have a great rapport with the um, Dundalk, uh, you know, the Dundalk, uh, Mahavon and more. We have a great rapport with the guards. Everything's out in the open we want to keep it that way. We don't want any suspicion on us. We've worked hard for our community centre and we've worked hard to integrate and we want to keep it like that. Okay, Carol. So we don't want her, we don't want her involved in any of our groups. All right. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, and making those views known to all of us uh, this morning. Carol Duffy, uh, former friend of Lisa Smith and a member of uh, the Dundalk Muslim community. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. New laws being proposed by the AIM2 party would make it illegal uh, to provide uh, pornography online that is accessible by children. Let's hear a little bit more about this with Patrick O'Bean, the leader of the AIM2 party and uh, a TD for Mead West. And uh, a very good morning to you, Patrick O'Bean, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of a, a problem, to say the least, uh, with uh, children watching pornography. How would you hope to stamp it out? Yeah, so we know today that children as young as eight and nine years have access to hardcore explicit materials, uh, the type of material that would have been illegal to adults just a generation ago. And the the School of Psychology in NUI Galway uh, has shown that about 60% of teenage boys um, have accessed pornography before the ages of 13. Uh, And we know that it's it's very, very difficult for parents to, to, to have any control over this. 
currently at the moment. And the dangers are obvious. Um, children are being sexualized at a far, far younger age. Um, they can, it can radically alter their perceptions of sex, uh, their understanding of healthy relationships, and actually leads to uh, physical and mental health problems, and in some cases, even addiction. But I think what's worrying people the most around uh, children accessing pornography is the evidence has come to light uh, that it leads to violence and aggression as well. And there's many cases in the courts currently that show that children are literally acting out what they see uh, in pornography um, with other children. And uh, indeed, mm. there's been cases where violence against women and children uh, have been brought to light in the courts where pornography was used uh, by those young children. So. Um, we've been trying to get to the government to get to grips with this problem over the last number of years. Fine Gael has been dragging its feet with regards uh, providing a ban for this. In the shocking and, and devastating case of the Anna Criejo case, um, we had Leo Varadkar basically saying that, well, we'll see how Britain gets on with its proposed ban on this, and if they're successful, we may go down that route. And, you know, I would say to Fine Gael that we can't afford to drag our feet on this. This is a real problem today. Uh, and while it might be difficult to do something around this, we just mm. can't throw our, uh, our hands in the air and say, listen, we're not going to even bother trying. So what I've been doing is... I've been, I, I've been, I, I, I'm not sure if that's the case. Uh, it is so difficult uh, that uh, people are trying uh, and are trying to find a way out of this. And I, I don't think that there's an example of how it's been tackled successfully anywhere in the world, is there? Well, I would ask you to give an example of how the government has tried to stop this. To give you an example of how they've tried to stop it. Yeah. Well, what should they have done? Well, all I'm saying is that the, the government have done nothing. They've mm. dragged their feet with regards to the banning of this. We know it's a problem. Parents are, are contacting me saying that, you know, they're finding it really difficult to protect their children. And, you know, if if a, a, a off-licensed was to sell a bottle of vodka to a, a, a 12-year-old, uh, we would say that the person who owns the off-license is responsible uh, for that, and you should be brought to court. If an adult came down on the streets and gave your 12-year-old kids pornography, you would actually say to you would be furious with that adult. Yet, we have companies in this country who make profits from the provision of pornography to our 12-year-old children. And what we're very uh, clearly saying is that we have internet service providers. These are companies such as Aircom, uh, Sky Ireland, uh, Vodafone Ireland, um, and they obviously provide our, our, our internet services to us, which um, and a great service they provide to. Um, however, there are cases where they provide certain websites and the courts have forced them to block those websites. So, for example, we had streaming companies up until recently mm. who were streaming material, which was copyright material. Movies, um, movies in particular. Movies, 20 cent, exactly. 20th Century Fox Corporation, yeah. Universal Brothers. No, no, nothing to do with pornography or not necessarily. No, but I'm, I'm getting yeah. to the point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but just to keep our listeners yeah. with us. Yeah, okay. Yeah, these companies uh, were basically seeking to mm. stop the website streaming this copyright material. Mm. They went to court and the judge basically said to the internet service providers, you must block those websites, and they did. So we know that these websites can be stopped. Mm. And what we're simply saying that is, and in our legislation, that if a internet service provider is carrying a website which is providing hardcore pornography to children, uh, that enforcement notices mm. will be brought about. 
um, those enforce, enforcement. Okay, bills. so your, your, your point to make it simple for us to understand is that if you can block Walt Disney movies, you can block pornographic movies. For sure. Well, well first of all, the technology is there. And we believe that the responsibility should be to the provider in the same way that the responsibility is in the, the publican's hand when he's or she is providing yeah, but, to but, make but, sure that the child is of a certain age. But in order, in order, in order, in order, to do that. in order to stop them streaming Hollywood movies, uh, they blocked about five sites, didn't they? There must be five million sites providing pornography. Well, there's, there's a number of different uh, uh, sites here. First of all, there are commercial sites providing hardcore pornography to children. And in those, they can be very easily identified. And if they don't introduce some kind of system whereby a person has to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt their age, uh, well, then they can be blocked. Mm. There's also other materials uh, which are delivered through the Internet, um, as, as you mentioned yourself, in a, in a far more, uh, in a broad manner. And there are algorithms that can be used which can identify, for example, the amount of skin that's on a screen at a certain time, and they're actually very accurate mm. in identifying pornography. Uh, and if those sites continue to do that, if they, but you know, and this is not. Yeah, but, you're, 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 but 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 that, that that's uh, assuming uh, that uh, your law was um, adopted, and that uh, any of these companies uh, who provide the internet uh, would be found guilty of providing pornography to children uh, if they didn't pick up on it which would means which would effectively mean you close down the internet in this country wouldn't it? No, we, first of all in this piece of legislation we have identified the Commission for Communications Regulation and where it comes to their notice that a particular site is providing this material and is doing so to children they bring about an enforcement notice to the ISP, the internet service provider, who then seeks to make sure that whatever website that they're carrying is delivering it to adults only. And if that's not the case, well, then that enforcement notice needs to be put in place for that particular site uh, to be closed uh, down. And if they, in the same way, mm. Michael, if a pub or an off-license in Drogheda or Navan yeah. was selling vodka to a 12-year-old child, yeah. we, an enforcement notice would be brought, brought about and if they mm-hmm. refuse to adhere... And they should look for ID. A lot of these companies look for ID. They're given the Absolutely. ID. They think that um, they're uh, being looked at by adults, uh, when in fact it's 12-year-olds. Yeah. So, but so now, therein we lies the difficulty. We wouldn't, we wouldn't accept that excuse from an off-license or a pub in, in mm-hmm. Leathermead. Mm-hmm. Like, if, 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 if a publican went, well, I thought that 12-year-old was 18, and I, I gave him a bottle of vodka, and it's mm-hmm. not really my fault. So, so how, laugh at that excuse. how would children be expected to verify their age? Well, first of all, again, I would say it is not up to me uh, to actually provide a system for these companies to verify ages. In the same way, it's not up to the government to give a system to the off-licenses okay. or pubs for them to verify their age. It's up to them to do it uh, in, a, in, a, in a manner. And if it's found that it's not working, either in a pub or an off-license, or in a, a mm. website... Well, I think they have done it with the pubs. I think they have done it with the pubs. I mean, there's uh, certain forms of identity that are, are viewed to, to be verifiable and for certain forms that are not. Uh, so they have done it to some extent. Yeah, and, and, and of course, there's obviously certain forms of identity that are viewed to be verifiable uh, with regard to these websites too. So, you know, mm. uh, adults have uh, driving licenses and they have passports. Uh, they have, you know, state identification. Uh, and, you know, it's it, again... It's not up to, it's not the job of, of 
uh, the government to find a mechanism to allow for these companies okay. to make a profit. It's up to the government to provide a mechanism to keep children safe. And you, know, you remember this, there are, our, our newspapers are full of cases where 12-year-olds are acting out what they see uh, on these uh, okay. uh, on these websites yep. against other 12-year-olds. Okay. And lives are being destroyed for their whole lives as a result of these, both the perpetrators and the victims. Okay, actually, I've gone over time. Uh, I have are to leave suffering as a result. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Pater Tobin, uh, TD in Mead West and uh, the leader of the AIM2 party. Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Before I get to those comments, if I can just read out a message from the Gary Kelly Centre in Drogheda, Michael, who rang into the show, just to say that due to a power outage, the centre is going to be closed today and tomorrow, just for any users out there they want to get the word out who may, you know, have been planning to travel to the centre. But moving to the listeners who've been in touch today, a lot coming in, Michael, about Lisa Smith. Jason says there are a lot of people very angry today, Michael, the cost to bring Lisa Smith home coming out of mine and other taxpayers' money. I find it disgusting. Jonathan says that the media frenzy over Lisa Smith, he finds it a bit disturbing. Granted, this story has to be told and covered, but we need to be careful that she is treated for what she is. She is not a celebrity. She is someone who was involved with a terrorist organisation. I I can understand the concern for Lisa's daughter, says Joanne, and that is proper. However, I feel that it is right that Lisa is being held by the Gardaí and is being questioned and we have to see if she will be charged. The people of Ireland need to be protected. We have to be absolutely certain that she is not a threat and I think that the authorities are dealing with it properly. Okay, well of course Lisa Smith is one of the people of Ireland and she'll have to be protected if she isn't charged it would seem. Uh, Micah says terrorist into a celebrity. It's a new low for the media. Deafening silence about the crimes and the victims. David from Navin is Peter Fitzpatrick for real. Does he really think that people will fall for that line? Lisa knew exactly who and what she was joining. One of the worst groupings ever to roam the planet. I'm not sure which line. Uh, Peter Smith or Peter Fitzpatrick said uh, he hadn't uh, come to any judgment uh, and uh, that he was hoping uh, that she would be given a, a fair hearing. Another listener says, I'm really surprised that Peter Fitzpatrick appears to be protecting someone who left Ireland to join a terrorist organisation. What about the people of Dundalk who elected Peter Fitzpatrick and are understandably nervous about her return to Dundalk? Are we to just accept that she is not a danger and that we should just welcome her back with arms wide open into the community? Is that what he's suggesting? OK, well, uh, Peter Fitzpatrick uh, is uh, saying uh, that she should be given a fair hearing. As I say, Lisa Smith says she didn't join a terrorist organisation, uh, that uh, she went to Syria to live under the caliphate uh, and uh, that uh, she has not been involved in any fighting, let alone terrorism uh, and perhaps 
her husband has, uh, but she hasn't, and maybe she has been associated with members of ISIS, but she was not a member of ISIS her, herself. Uh, she came to her attention uh, as being one of uh, the detainees in the Al Hal camp uh, when she herself made an approach to an American uh, reporter, a CNN reporter. And this is a story now uh, that is being r- reported on all over the world uh, because uh, Lisa Smith has returned uh, to Ireland. Uh, let's uh, hear how CNN has reported it. So an Irish woman described as an ISIS bride has been taken into custody. Lisa Smith was deported from Turkey, then arrested on Sunday at Dublin's airport on suspicion of terror offences. Smith actually approached a CNN crew at a refugee camp back in Syria. You might remember the story. Back at, and it was in March, she was carrying her daughter here. She told our Germana Karache that, that she went to Syria to be an ISIS bride, but was ready to return home to Ireland. I think that people should just uh, realise that all the people here are not terrorists. This woman declined to give us her name, but she's been identified by Irish media as Muslim convert Lisa Smith, a former member of the Irish military. She says she came to Syria an ISIS bride. Now she's a widow, left alone with a two-year-old daughter. I want to go home. But you might be prosecuted if you go home. You might end up in jail. Are you ready for that? Well, I know they'd strip me off my passport and stuff, and I wouldn't travel and I'd be watched, kind of. But prisons? I don't know. I'm already in prison. Well, that interview actually prompted the Irish government to repatriate Smith and her daughter. And now Irish officials are working to assure that the child is placed in a safe environment. That report from CNN on Lisa Smith's return home following their first report that she was one of the people who was being detained in the Al-Hal camp in northern Syria. Paul from Dundalk says Lisa Smith's crime took place in Syria. Obviously she got away. Should she not be deported back to Syria? The child is Syrian born. LMFM and the rest of the media need to have a look at where the problem is. Michael would want to get his PC hat off him and have a proper debate about Islam. I studied it for a long time. I read a lot about it. It is a religion that oppresses women. End of story. Okay, well, not uh, according to the woman we spoke to this morning. Uh, I think there's a a lot of people uh, who are Muslim who would uh, have a very different opinion to that. Uh, Text her, it's her own fault. She chose and she knew what she was getting into. And from Drogheda says, what galls me, Michael, is that I know of a man who died abroad. There was no state to help to bring him home. It was only for a charity who helped the family. So, yes, they do everything they can to bring Lisa Smith home. Uh, well, Lisa Smith was being deported. Let's uh, not forget uh, that uh, Turkey has uh, an awful lot of people in prison that it says are members of Islamic State, of ISIS, uh, and uh, it wants them uh, out of their country, out of their prisons and sent back uh, to their native countries. And that's what's happened with Lisa Smith, deported by Turkey uh, and then uh, becomes our responsibility. Listener from Dundalk, uh, listening this morning, would like people to lay off that woman, leave it to the appropriate authorities to deal with the situation. And listening in from Drogheda is disgusted with the topic about Lisa Smith, the amount of money that is involved. They could have put to use for more needy causes and says that this woman should not be given any airtime. Uh, another listener text in, Carol Duffy is engaging in damage limitation on behalf of the Islamic community in Dundalk in oh, her why, why are they saying that? concerted media onslaught against Lisa Smith. Oh, I don't understand that. Uh, I, 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 don't, I, I don't like the undercurrent of that tone at all. Uh, that would seem like a, a very unfair 
uh, insinuation uh, that is being made there. I think Carol Duffy was very, very clear in telling us how she felt, uh, whether people liked hearing it or, or not. She was very, very clear in how she felt. And she also said that she was representing the views of all of uh, the women uh, who uh, she's been talking to in the mosque in Dundalk who are members of uh, the Dundalk Muslim community. Lorraine says that she feels very sorry for Lisa Smith's daughter, that she was thinking about her yesterday and being separated from her mother because that's all she has probably known is her mother uh, since she was born. And she says that she does have sympathy for her daughter, but she does believe that the authorities are right to be doing what they are doing. And she hopes that her daughter are cared for by family while this is going on. So, Michael, that's just a flavour of some of them that okay. are in so far a lot this of morning. In touch with yes, us there, yeah. yes. Okay. So we'll finish on that. All right. Thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Lisa Smith is home as we've been discussing all morning as to whether she'll return home to Dundalk or not is another day's work. Uh, but let's uh, talk uh, to Dundalk-based councillor Rory O'Muraku uh, about this. A very good morning to you, Rory, and thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us here on the programme this morning. Uh, can I just ask you for a quick clarification uh, before we talk about Lisa Smith and the situation that she finds herself in at the moment? Uh, when you talk about this this morning, are, are we right in assuming that you're articulating the Sinn Féin position? Oh, time. Yes. Yeah, like no, no. Oh, no, and, that, and, 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 and the reason I'm asking you that is that we didn't contact any other Sinn Féin councillors because we assumed that you're the voice for Sinn Féin. And the reason I'm saying this to you is that we've contacted many councillors in Dundalk. And I'm not going to go through them one by one, uh, but it is really hard to understand why you're the only person speaking to us this morning. Some of them aren't available. They've made their excuses, uh, whatever. Uh, some of them don't want to talk about it, whatever. But I, I just think it's astounding. This is an issue of such importance to people in Dundalk that that seems like a complete lack of leadership from elected representatives. What are your thoughts on that to begin with? Well, I, I don't know about that. I suppose it's a, it's a very sensitive issue. People probably feel ill at ease, you know what I mean? Well, that's you, the point. That's no, 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 I accept that. You, you, you've, heard, you, you've heard the various views. Mm. Obviously, there's people that are angry. There's yeah. people that who would have seen this from a humanitarian perspective, obviously, particularly from the point of view of Rafika. And this uh, has the potential to ignite. This is a time when leadership is required. And you know, I say that uh, recognising the fact that you're talking to us and I appreciate that and I applaud you for that. But I really am amazed that you're the only councillor uh, that uh, is available to us uh, for whatever the reason this morning. All right, well, as I, said, I can only answer for myself in relation to it. You asked me to come on, I, I, I came on. I'm not sure there's a whole amount that I can add in the mm. sense of you've already had a detailed enough discussion. You had Dara Mackin on who mm. spoke about the fact that she's obviously going through criminals are here. Mm. She's going through an investigative procedure at the minute with the Gardaí. They're going through all the necessary questions they have. We're obviously unaware of all the information that they have that they're laying in front of her. Mm. I also heard him speak earlier, and he said that when uh, Lisa was in the camp, that she mightn't have been able to... It was unprecedented for people, obviously, within a camp that would have contained an awful lot of ISIS people to come out strongly against ISIS. So it remains to be seen, you know, what the line will be into the future in relation to them, but... Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can accept that these are all factors. Mm. Um, 
obviously it's very, very positive that uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old girl is now with uh, her family mm. and is not in Syria or in a displacement camp in Turkey. And from the point of view of whether this was right or wrong to take people, to, to take Lisa Smith home, and the argument, I, you probably put it very well yourself in the sense that, right, first of all, the government made a decision that she was an Irish citizen. They were taking her and the child home whenever it was feasible to do that. But the reality was that the Turkish authorities were throwing them out, deporting them, whatever term you want to use. So mm. this was a done deal on some level. And in fairness, the fact that the government and the authorities were prepared for this meant that they were able to obviously bring her home off the plane. They were able to obviously do something from a humanitarian point of view in relation to an introduction uh, with Lisa to the to the family with the child and that the child is now uh, in their care. That's all very positive. And then they were able to bring her in for the obvious questioning and everything that she needs to face. Mm. And here, there are a number of questions she would need to answer. But of course, yeah. yeah and, that, and no, but that's, that's, with, uh, that's obviously with the Garda authorities. Yeah. And then, and if she uh, doesn't answer those questions sufficiently, she could end up in prison. If she does and she's released, uh, as we were discussing, uh, there's uh, a fear that uh, she may be at risk and her daughter may be at risk and there'll be a need to protect them. But we live in a, a democracy. Democracy. We have a police force which is charged with carrying out investigations into these matters. We have the courts then to make a, 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 a adjudication on uh, whether uh, somebody is innocent or guilty. We all have a right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and uh, then we have... Uh, other issues, uh, because people are, are very animated by this, uh, and uh, this is what I, I was alluding to at the beginning, that I, I'm amazed that we don't have other councillors speaking to us, because I think it is a time for leadership and a time for people to call CAM. Uh, one of the comments that came to us uh, this morning uh, would give you the impression that it's not just Lisa Smith and her daughter who have reason to be uh, afraid or to think that there is a risk to their safety as a result of all of this. And this is the type of thing that can happen when these stories take uh, legs of their own. Well, Lisa Smith's actions in relation to going out to Syria and her involvement, whatever that was with ISIS, and the fact that this story then broke, it has cast a negative light that has probably impacted on an awful lot of um, Muslims in Dundalk. So they're probably not particularly happy with that, and that's fair enough. And in fairness, you had Carol Duffy on, mm-hmm. and she gave that view of where they stand in relation to it. Um, but we need people to have calm heads. We need people, I suppose, to give the guarantee and the authorities the time to deal with the situation. And then, at the end of the day, we don't need anybody ratcheting up um, and adding anything negative into the atmosphere. We just need to deal with the situation as it arises. We need to ensure that all the facts are laid out in front of us, and that's what we deal with. And we don't need... Um, I accept that people are angry, but we don't need anybody to do anything negative or anything that's going to impact badly on all of us within this community and wider society. And. There is nobody else responsible for Lisa Smith's actions other than Lisa Smith. Oh no! It, it's Lisa Smith made her decisions. She needs she needs to own them. There, I don't think you will find one person in this town who will condone what she did. 
um, at very best, it was it was far beyond naivety. You like to involve yourself in a grouping as heinous as as ISIS is here, absolutely ridiculous. It's very difficult to even countenance how you could do that. But um, we are in the situation that we are in. Um, the authorities will make a determination in relation to whether any um, crime has been committed about her involvement and what that was with ISIS. And then beyond that, two things, I suppose. It's whether they're, um, what the security situation is as regards her into the future. And then also, like, like you said, they need to ensure that, obviously, that the family um, and the child, etc., and whatever, are, are also secure also. Okay, listen, Rory, we'll come back a, a, another day uh, later in the week, perhaps, if it, it uh, suits you uh, to talk uh, about Sinn Féin legislation in relation uh, to dogs littering uh, the streets. That's all right. M- Michael, just before I go, would it be possible for me to plug an event? Yes, go ahead. Um, okay. Pierce Doherty is going to be speaking... Uh, in the Imperial Hotel at half seven uh, this Wednesday in relation to the insurance crisis and ending the rip-off. So it's a public meeting at half seven. We'd love to see lots of people there. All right. All right. Well, look, thank you. Uh, We'll come back and talk about that other issue that we should have spoken about uh, this morning. Uh, Obviously, uh, overshadowed by the return of Lisa Smith, we uh, really do appreciate you taking the time to be with us uh, to discuss that. And we didn't want to confuse or conflate that issue by uh, talking about something else at the same time. Uh, But thank you, as I say, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Sinn Féin Councillor Rory O'Murakou. Now, there were four by-elections over the weekend, as I'm sure you know. Well, you may or may not know. There wasn't that much interest in it. uh, But uh, the outcome uh, could have serious consequences consequences going forward. Uh, let's talk about this with our political correspondent Sean Defoe. Four by-elections, no wins for Fine Gael. It's not massively surprising. They have been hoping to take one in Dublin Midwest, but it didn't pan out for them. Fianna Fáil will probably be the happiest. Two of the four seats went to them in Wexford and Cork North Central. Then the Green Party showing that the Green Wave is very much still a thing in Dublin. Fingal, Joe O'Brien becoming the first Green TD to ever win a by-election. And a surprise out in Dublin Midwest. No one was really calling Sinn Féin taking that seat, but that's exactly what Mark Ward did, and he was very clearly the favourite in terms of first preferences and managed to hold up on transfers to take the seat away from the two presumptive favourites, which had been Fine Gael and the independent Paul Gogarty. OK, what's uh, the post-mortem, do you think, uh, in Fine Gael? Uh, because uh, people will look at uh, this by-election and uh, wonder uh, about the campaign, in particular because of uh, the controversy that surrounded Verona Murphy, uh, but to come out of the four elections without one seat, uh, I think, uh, will beg some questions of the leadership, will it not? Uh, it, it's certainly a pretty poor result. A lot of the leadership ministers and the Taoiseach have been out over the weekend saying that governments traditionally don't win by elections. And that's true. There's only been three wins in the last, I think, since the early 80s. But all three of them have come in the lifetime of uh, Fine Gael being in government in the last eight years. Now, they say that two of those were exceptional circumstances in the case of the deaths of, of uh, Shane McEntee and Nicky McFadden, where they were won by family members. And traditionally, that is what happens with by-elections. But the other was a, a Labour win back uh, shortly after the 2011 government was elected when Patrick Nolte won out in Dublin West. So there's some questioning of that. Certainly long-term governments tend not to win by elections, but they still will probably be disappointed. The vote share held up pretty well. And again, it was the second largest party by vote of the weekend, 20.3% across the four constituencies. Uh, and a couple of those t- um, candidates have positioned themselves well ahead of the general election, namely Colin Burke and Emer Higgins. But they do have quite a lot of questions and they're going to face even more questions this mm. week with the, as I'm calling them, the, the three Murphys of the apocalypse, Dara Murphy, Verona Murphy and Owen Murphy, who are causing the party 
Murphy no end of trouble. Verona Murphy actually was the best performing Fine Gael candidate at the weekend in Wexford with 23.8% of the vote there. But the Dara Murphy scandal over basically retiring as a TD haven't been pretty much an absentee TD for the last two years is engulfing the party and tomorrow they face a vote of no confidence in Owen Murphy as housing minister. So there's uh, quite a lot coming out of Gael at the moment and mm. it's certainly 04 does not augur well ahead of a general election. Well obviously some people liked Verona Murphy's message uh, and uh, they would have thought uh, that she was uh, treated unfairly there. This was uh, seen in a promotional video which uh, suggested that uh, she underwent a character assassination and Although the election is over now, Fine Gael and Fine Gael ministers continue to be asked about Verona Murphy and if she was the subject of a character assassination. Yeah, and most of them are saying no, she probably wasn't, that uh, anything that happened was of her own making. I think Minister Jim Doherty was making that point on the radio yesterday, that these were comments of her own uh, that got picked up in the media. And she it's not as if she said them once off, she did double down in multiple interviews uh, and made these known that her views, mm. and she did apologise for it. And obviously, some portion of the electors in Wexford uh, liked her. She got 23.8% of the vote and placed third. But it does put a big headache on Fine Gael because... The support from ministers in the Taoiseach was lukewarm at best in the lead-up to the actual vote itself. He did go out and down on canvas with her, but didn't do any media. She was mm. gagged from talking to the media as well. And there's a lot of TDs have kind of said, look, this is not the values of Fine Gael. We don't agree with what she said about asylum seekers. It's not the type of comments that's susceptible in politics. Yet she did do quite well. And mm. as I said, the best of their four candidates placing third in Wexford, and she very much said she will be running in the next general election even if someone in Finnegan would like to drop her. So it's an interesting uh, interesting conundrum now for Pascal Donoghue and the T-shirt face as they are going and reviewing the different party election tickets. All right. Uh, what did you say there, the three Murphys of uh, the apocalypse, uh, Verona Murphy being one of them, uh, the other uh, being Dara Murphy, and uh, there needs to be a by-election in Cork, North Central, uh, sometime in the next six months? Well, that by-election probably won't happen realistically. We're going to get the general election in the next six months so it's probably not ever going to happen. People will just have to go to the polls, but it is kind of ironic, Cork North Central, just after electing a new TD or losing another one, although many people down there will say they lost that TD a long time ago because mm. of Darren Murphy's role in Europe, a role with the, the EPP party as well as the director of elections. He's had the lowest t- attendance in the Dáil over the past two years, but I think what's angering a lot of people, he's, he's still claimed uh, copious amounts of expenses over those two years as well, and it raises more questions about the actual system of expenses in the Dáil, and it would talk about this before in terms mm. of Fobgate and how TDs need to log in for 120 days a year to get their full and claim their full expenses and for Dara Murphy living in Cork or having his home address in Cork at least would have been quite considerable so there's a lot of questions there and, and to be honest I'm, I'm more surprised that it hasn't come up before because a lot of TDs have known about this a lot of Fine Gael TDs have known about this and yet they seem to only give out about it and start to care when it's raised as he's leaving and it's starting to affect the electorate Yeah, does uh, the Taoiseach uh, not monitor the attendance of ministers? Well, attendance of ministers uh, should be nominated now. Dara Murphy hasn't been a minister for a while. Leo Varadkar dropped him uh, from the from his junior ministry position when he became Taoiseach. Before that, he did have a role in Europe as uh, Minister of European Affairs, a similar role to what Helen McEntee occupies yeah. mm-hmm. at the moment. 
Um, but Helen McEntee, uh, I mean, as you'll know, in your area is still quite active in the constituency mm-hmm. and is over and back the whole time, whereas the Dara Murphy was acting effectively in a second job in the last while. He was mm. TD for Cork North Central, but also Director of Elections for the European People's Party, which, I, mm-hmm. by the sound of it, and I don't know the full ins and outs of that job, is not the kind of thing you could do as well as being a full-time yeah, TD. Uh, so uh, Helen McEntee has assumed that role as Vice President of the EPP, the European People's Party, and uh, Dara Murphy now gives up his position as a, a TD to go work for them, isn't it? Uh, that's it, yeah. yeah. He's going mm. to work for one of the European Commissioners. Very good. All right, uh, the third Murphy, Dan, of course, is uh, the Minister for Housing, and uh, this could prove to be a critical week uh, for the government. How do you uh, think it'll pan out? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, particularly for the four new TDs. Their very first vote is going to be a vote of no confidence in Owen Murphy, and a couple of them told me that they were getting quite a good reaction when they said that on the doors, particularly Mark Ward and Dublin Midwest. A lot of people like the thought of getting Owen Murphy uh, actually out of office. I don't think it's going to pass. Fianna Fáil have said that they will abstain, that they're not going to collapse the government at the moment while Brexit still has to be sorted, and they've claimed that this move of the Social Democrats was one to try and curry electoral favour ahead of last week's vote, which in many ways it was. I mean, it was a bit of a stunt vote, but it will be interesting because the pressure of is wrapping up on uh, Fine Gael. Every single constituency, every candidate I talked to who was out in the doors in the last month said housing was pretty much the number one issue along with transport and health. There's a lot of people who are very angry at the situation at the moment. A lot of people who think that Owen Murphy is not doing his job well. Yet he's likely to survive uh, this door vote. I think everyone bar um, Fianna Fáil will oppose and the government is going to end up relying on the votes of key independents, namely mm. um possibly Michael Harty, you're looking at Noah Greedish and Michael Lowry as well, who aren't without their own controversy as independents, Dennis Nocton, and Peter Fitzpatrick as well. All right. Well, we'll watch that with interest. That's our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, local community representatives have been gathering in the Crown Plaza Hotel in Dundalk to celebrate uh, the official launch of Invictus, a major new cross-community, cross-border project focusing on the greater Mehevena Moor and border areas. Up and running for the past six months, the project has been made possible with thanks to €180,000 in funding from the International Fund for Ireland. It's administered by Athnadina. It operates out of Chalk Pubble, the community house in Dundalk's Merhaven and Moor. Marie Kearns has been finding out more. John Connolly, the project's coordinator, has been explaining to Marie what Invictus means. Well, in, in, Invictus itself is an unusual word, and, and I suppose it's a great starter for a talking point because most people say it just like yourself, what is Invictus? In, Invictus for us means undefeated or unconquerable. For us living in the greater Merhaven and Moor area, Invictus enhances our community spirit, our unconquerable thirst for social justice and equality, better life for people and get people to challenge why things are the way they are and then the next step, do something about it if you don't like it, something positive. It's a funding of €180,000. What does that mean to the project? Well, obviously, for to do anything, you know, you do need a certain amount of, of money. A lot of people do voluntary stuff to, to really impact. You do need to spend. We have one and a half workers here. That's a full-time worker and a part-time worker. And the rest is to be spent on various activities, classes, anything that's going to enhance people's position, you know, to get upskilled, to get better jobs, to just have a happier life. One of the aims of uh, the project is to try and encourage young people to keep themselves occupied and maybe away from criminality. 
Yes, uh, undoubtedly to keep people away from criminality and organised crime and all the dangers that that can bring to them, to their families and to their communities. Uh, we, we have a, a sort of rule of thumb here. It's easier to keep people out of trouble than it is to get them out of trouble. So we, we're trying to keep people away from trouble. And I would also say, say to people, because I know a lot of people who are engaged in nefarious activities of drug dealing, small time, big time, and a lot of them aren't fundamentally bad people. Sometimes a particular set of circumstances leads people to make particular decisions that aren't good for themselves. And nobody, nobody gets away with drug dealing eventually. And we can see it just in the news. There are 22-year-old man lost his life in Dublin, shot down for what? Money, greed, I don't know. It, it needs to stop. And in the Mahabnamore area, you have had loss of life because of drug abuse. We have had loss of life, and since the project started, we have several young men have lost their lives through the misuse of drugs. You know, and I would ask anybody out there who, who's involved in drugs, taking drugs, selling drugs or whatever, if they feel, you know, maybe take a wee step back, that they want to get out of that life, we can assist them to get out of that life. We're not going to judge them, as I say, given a particular set of circumstances, sometimes people end up doing things they might not normally do. I'm looking at the list of initiatives now under this project. Women's groups, uh, creation of a new group for younger women, youth project, providing training, workshops. So there's lots going on. Yeah, there is lots going on. I say we've just been running for the six months. Obviously, you, you do lose a wee bit of time starting up. We have a young group for younger people who aren't involved in, in, in any trouble, but they do see what goes on around them like heavy heavy guard raids at different times the normalization of drugs we want to get rid of that and let them know that it's not normal this activity is not normal and it's not something that they want to become involved in and something that they really really want to stay well away from that's your message to the young people in the area today and to become involved here yes our message to to young people old people anybody Become involved because there's something here for everyone. If you're sitting in the house and you're feeling lonely, you can come in here, you can do whatever. The project has changed the life of 18-year-old Cody, who is part of the Young Men's Group. We'll meet on a Tuesday night about 6 o'clock. We come in and we'll organise what we're going to do for the next week or two, plan out a few courses and walk away home from then and we might get a bit of food to eat and talk away and then see what course we're going to do next week too. Do you think it has been beneficial to you? It has because it just, like, I'm 18 and I used to be running around the streets and everything else, but not anymore I do it. Like, I just, I have so much interest in doing youth work. I'm my last year of school I'm going to go and do a PLT in youth work, so it's so beneficial to me. Like, I've got most of my courses done out of this and everything else that I needed, so. If you weren't here, what you're saying to me is you'd be on the streets maybe up to no good. Yeah. Genuinely, I probably would be up in the streets up to no good, but like John Dell called us all in and off the street and he took us into a good, very good project, takes us away when we do a course or two and everything else and it's just so beneficial. I'd, I'd recommend it to young kids to go in, get in and do it. Um, I, I am hoping from this that I would get a job from it. I just, I'm, like I said, I'm going to do a PLC next year. Like It's just, it's no good being running around the streets, like just working with young people and other people as well with bad backgrounds. It's just I think it's amazing, like the the progress that will happen. I encourage anyone to do it. Like it's just only for John. I I wouldn't have any interest in youth work genuinely. And that's what you hope to become a youth worker. That's what I hope to do. Yeah, a youth worker. Sadie Ward McDermott is a board member with the International Fund for Ireland.
I asked her why they decided to support the Invictus project. There are many things that stand out about the project. Firstly, um, it, it was able to clearly identify that it, it was linking to the strategic aims of the International Fund for Ireland, which was dealing with the aftermath of the conflict situation in Northern Ireland and on the border regions. And it was clearly stating that it was aiming to deal with that particular issue. And it was going to deal with it in a multifaceted way. So it was aiming to work with young people, with women and with older members of the community. And so it had a multi-pronged approach to addressing the particular areas that it was focusing on. And alongside that, it had a clear cross-border linkage where it was aiming to link with identified groups in Northern Ireland that it it had established um, relationships with and they felt that they could work with in both those areas. So it it was a, a very strong proposal. The official launch was last week, but in fact, the project has been up and running for the last couple of months. Are you excited by what you see? I, I think it's an absolutely amazing project. I was lucky enough to be at the launch and the launch was extremely well attended, um, a packed room. And what was tremendous is that we had um, a significant mix of community-based p- people from the area, people who are, who are already involved in participating in the project, and also various representatives of state and voluntary organisations um, from the community itself. And I suppose what that demonstrates is that there's huge support from statutory agencies, from other voluntary groups working in the area for this project. And that's what will make it a success. And it's all about enhancing the local community. It is indeed. It's about enhancing the the community, but it's about working with people within the community. So obviously it's voluntary participation and there's a significant amount of work done by the project management team, the coordinator, to encourage people to participate in a project of this nature. So you don't tend to have people queuing at the door to enrol or sign up. So it's very much a knock on the door and encouraging people to come in and and to start participating. So in that regard, what would be fair to say is that there's a huge array of opportunities available under the Invictus project. And what's what's tremendous is that they all dovetail one into another and that you can see that the women's groups are interlinking with the young people's groups. And similarly, the young people's groups are supporting maybe the older age groups as well. So whilst they all function independently doing their own particular pieces of work, so it's about personal development. It's about growth. It's about developing their individual skills that they didn't know they had, teaching them new skills but but also it's it's about dealing with the hard issues things like well how do we deal with conflict how do we deal with managing those types of issues and what type of strategies can we use to ensure that we we address conflict in a better way but also that we look at um issues around interculturalism multiculturalism um you know different religions operating in in similar areas and how we can ensure that these coexist in, in, in peace and in harmony. And so it's creating understanding. And you only do that through various themes. And that's what the project is about. Carmel Doyle told me how the project has benefited her. I'm involved in the Over 50s Women Invictus group. There's a range of ages in it and we do. We've, we've done um, chair aerobics. We've done gardening. We, we do crochet as well. And some of us teach some of the other women who don't know how to crochet. We, we, we try and teach them how to crochet. 
and we've done zumba and we've done um so lots of different yeah, activities yeah, we've, we've covered we've covered quite a, a few different things and uh, we've we've done residentials and we've done a residential last year in belfast we met groups of women from different parts of belfast different parts of northern ireland and uh, we stayed overnight in the Farsish hostel up in Belfast and uh, we had workshops and stuff and we just had discussions on what kind of um, problems they have in their areas and discovered that even though you might be from different political persuasions or different religions or whatever else that we all have the same problems in our areas and it was good to talk to other people and get different views on problems in the areas and how would you be if you didn't have the group well I had to give up work but two and a half years ago because I'm visually impaired and I was at home just just trying to do things at home and then I've known Maria a few years who runs the group and she told me about it and I went over and it's just given me a new lease of life getting out meeting other women and then from it I've joined other groups because I've got the confidence to join other groups I play tennis VI tennis three times a week and I also go to a support group in the NCBI which I didn't know about because I I kind of wasn't even looking, you know what I mean? So it it just gave me the confidence to get out and do other things. So by taking that first step into this women's group, it has opened lots of other doors for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's given me great confidence in myself again as well. Carmel Doyle ending that report by Marie Kearns on the Invictus Project in Dundalk. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we're going to talk about uh, CCTV uh, with Fianna Fáil TD, Declan Brannock, who's on uh, the line. Good morning to you and uh, thanks as always for joining us. Before we do that, perhaps uh, we can talk about one of your constituents who's in Kevin Street Garda Station this morning. What are your thoughts on uh, Lisa Smith returning home? Well, I know that a large proportion of her population are not comfortable with it, but she, as we all know, is a citizen of the state, as is our daughter. And obviously, um, I think anybody looking at the situation uh, would agree that certainly the daughter would have first priority. And, you know, obviously, I'm sure in, in the Gala Barracks this minute, they're trying to establish her exact state of mind and her uh, what exactly she got up to. But I have no doubt that the Special Detective Unit, uh, with the support of the Criminal Justice Terrorist Offences Act of 2005, uh, that if she has committed crimes which you and I are not at liberty to really say without the evidence, then I would hope that she would be brought to justice. And would you ask people to remain calm and let the authorities carry out that work, that investigation? Absolutely, Michael, and you're raising the issue with me this morning, and I have no difficulty speaking about it. But I think, uh, you know, we can't get into the realms of supposition. There's plenty of evidence out there uh, that people are saying is correct. Look, at we, we have uh, the Galva authorities who will establish uh, whether she needs to be brought to book, and ultimately, uh, I am sure that we have got to allow that process to, to continue, regardless of our view and my thoughts, like yours and everybody else's, have got to be with the daughter, who I'm delighted to say the family obviously have taken uh, uh, a, a child that they don't know into their home. And I think the focus has to be to make sure that Tusla and the various agencies support uh, that young citizen. Okay. And at least said this time, uh, the better of the guardie get on with her investigation and if she is found uh, to have committed crime uh, and 
been involved, as we appear to believe from mm-hmm. reports, then she will be brought to book. Okay, we're going to talk about CCTV because you've been raising issues uh, in uh, the Dáil about schemes and money more in RD, Knockbridge, Blackrock and Monaster Boyce. Uh, you talked to us uh, this morning as we learn of two CCTV schemes in Dulik and Dunor uh, and the Data Protection Commissioner has ordered uh, that they be turned off because it's saying uh, that they were set up without considering the impact on the privacy rights of uh, the public but there is a, a legal basis for establishing one of these schemes as the Minister highlighted to you in the doll. This legal framework requires that any proposed community CCTV scheme must be approved by the local joint policing committee, must have the prior support of the relevant authority, which must also act as data controller, and must have the authorisation of the Garda Commissioner. This is the legal basis for all community CCTV schemes, regardless of how they are funded. And these key legal requirements, including the legal requirement for local authorities to act as data controller, have not changed since 2006. Okay, that's uh, Charlie Flanagan speaking to you in the Dáil, Declan Branagh. You were suggesting to the Minister that that legal basis would be changed so that the Garda could be the uh, data controller. Yeah, there are two different schemes. The Minister is correct in what he said, that the community, and he stressed the word community, CCTV, a scheme as he enunciated it must have the data controller of the local authority. There are gather schemes, but very little money been put into them or to the, into their extension because of shortages of money. The reality is, Michael, that only 22 uh, CCTV community schemes have been sanctioned, costing somewhere in 560,000 euro. Well, the minister has a budget for the last three years of over 4 million. And it is my strong belief that a simple change to recognise that the Garda resources in terms of live monitoring, particularly in our larger towns and where there are major difficulties Mm. with drug gangs or whatever, that there is a greater need, in my view, for those to be live monitored uh, in the Garda barracks where the facilities are there. The difficulty is that money has not been directed uh, into those schemes. And you mentioned money more. Mm. I mean, I've been informed this morning uh, by the Chief Executive Officer uh, that the money more scheme uh, is going to tender this week and that Loud County Council will be the data controller. And the problem you have with that, just to explain it to our listeners, is that let's say I threw a brick through a window and I was caught on CCTV, whether that was in Moneymore or somewhere else. The problem you have with that is that if I did that on a Saturday, it may be Monday before the guards could go to Loud County Council or Mead County Council or whoever and ask for the footage. Absolutely. I, I, took, I took an example of uh, if some, a child was abducted on the street. I mean, you need to see that in... You know, immediately, and you're correct in what you say, Michael, there is a lot of confusion out there. The data, the data, to be fair to the data commissioner, she has said that there is no issue once the legalities are done right. My, my argument with the minister is that there has to be and should be a combination of both the local authority and the, the Gardaí And if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. It, it, it's, in fact, the public shouldn't really concern themselves around who is the data controller once the legalities of how it is operated are correct and satisfy the data commissioner. Um, you know, you, you instance, for example, uh, you know, the various needs, as you mentioned, Dulik. I mm. visited Dulik at a very early stage of residence, and I want to commend Sharon Gagan and, and, and the people out there who... Uh, you know, had the courage with the Gardaí corner to recognise and tackle an area where corridors of crime commit. 
Michael, could I say to you, you mentioned Knock Bridge. I have absolutely no doubt, it's my whole village, mm. that had CCTV been in place, that the particular excavator that was used for the bank in Dunlear, because I know where it was taken from, would have been caught on a live camera. Now, I'm not saying that the crime mightn't have happened, but at least the footage would be available and fed into the Gardaíshire corner. We have places where we have major corridors of crime, and believe it or not, I would be, in the same way as the local authority are using cameras now to detect litter, I would be fully supportive of movable cameras uh, where the Gardaíshire corner have a right uh, to monitor what is going on. And I go back and say, if you have nothing to fear, you have nothing to hate. Okay, I have to leave it there because our time is out. But thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Declan Bronick, Fianna Fáil TD for Lad, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. 